Hi, this is Home with Havila, and I'm Havila Kennington. I'm so excited that you're joining me today for this two-part podcast series on, well, an update, conversational, kind of like if we were sitting down for coffee, we would be talking about these things. And I did want to do it alone because I tend to talk better when somebody's in the room. And so I invited Joelle, who is our Community Life Director of Truth Academy, to hang with me, to hold the conversation. And a lot of you that are truth members, you know exactly who it is. How you doing, Joelle? I'm doing good. Getting <laughs> used to being on a podcast. This I, is very cool. Right? I realize I didn't say your last name. Is Balwig. Balwig. I don't think I, I married knew a German. that that was your last name. <laughs> Honestly, some days I don't know it's my last name either. What was your maiden name? Mannion. Ooh, Mannion. So, when I went to Ireland, they were like, Mannion? Oh, we know exactly. <laughs> I'm so sorry if any of you are Irish and you heard that accent. I'm, I'm, I apologize. <laughs> but I love my maiden name. And then I married my husband, Noah, who obviously his last name is Balwig. And I'm like, man, you are German. Because his whole town, it's like, have you seen the proposal yes. where the whole town is like that last name? You go to his town in Wisconsin and everyone is Balwig. And they're kind of related, but kind of not related. Yes. So I'm famous in Wisconsin. I didn't know he was from Wisconsin. I just got back from Wisconsin. You did get was back Was I close to where he lives? I don't think so. Okay. He's above Madison. And you were, where were you again? I was in Applegate, mm-hmm. Nina. <laughs> Nina. <laughs> I should know, but everything kind of merges together. And there's funny names in Wisconsin. They're memorable, but also okay. not memorable. They're not as... You, you wouldn't but just be like, oh, I was here. You yeah, know? It, it doesn't feel that way. And Absolutely. I will say Wisconsin was stunning. I mean, I think it's a springtime, summer. My mom said that it's like their be- the best time in the world is to go there at that point. And... It was beautiful. But then you had to remind me that they were buried in snow for months. And then they literally are polar bears climb out yes. and get a couple tulips and some pretty, pretty weather. And that's it. And honestly, like you have to be bred for that. Like we were yes. bred. We love it. It's the ice fishing. And what we miss here is green. So we love Wisconsin because it's green for majority of the year. But what does that mean? Like grass? Because hills. once it thaws out everybody has totally. green. okay and well not right away but because their spring is rain time we don't get that we, do, we don't get, we that, don't get, get that, that in california no. we need it in california people think when i travel and i tell them i'm from california they immediately think i live on the beach <laughs> that i surf every morning and they just have this persona of like i live on the beach and that california is not like that and specifically mm-hmm. where we live we live in the mountains which is kind of hard to explain totally. except that we're three to four hours away from everything. San Francisco, Napa Valley, the coast. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. you can get to it all. But we also don't have really four seasons. It's kind of like kind of rainy and cold and then sun. Then the face of the sun, it just quickly flips over. So if you're by the ocean, then the breeze happens and it's not as debilitatingly hot as it is in Reading. A hundred percent. It's bad. The only way I can explain it is... You guys had snow days where everything got locked in and you probably didn't go anywhere and you couldn't go out in the snow. That's how the heat is here. We literally have heat days. I get up at eight in the morning. I close all my blinds. I turn my AC on. And if somebody opens the door, I'm like, close the door, close the door. And if I have to do errands, I do it in the morning and I don't do it between like two or six at night, things like that, where you would think, and even us having a pool, you would think, oh, they have a pool. It's great. But even that, the heat is so like torturous. You just stay in. You You just just don't do it. And Mm -hmm. so let me ask you, would you rather choose snow or would you rather choose fire? 
That's a good, that's a good question. I, hmm, you know, it's interesting. I definitely become a bit of a wuss now that I'm, I'm like 40 in my forties. I don't have a very, Ben will tell you, I have a three degree radius of comfortability. Like I legitimately, Honestly, same. I, I, I can't, I can't function if I'm hot and I can't mm-hmm. function if I'm cold. So I, I feel like all I do is bear my life at mm-hmm. times with the temp, which sounds so dramatic, but, um, I grew up in Tahoe. So yes. we, it snowed every winter. That's but I, right. Yeah, I was with that, but I don't think it's that Midwest cold snow. No, and it's different. And people are like, I didn't tune in for a weather <laughs> channel, but you know what? You're going to get it. No, but this is the last thing I'll say about Wisconsin is, so my husband's from Wisconsin, but I'm from outside of Chicago, which everyone who just heard that goes, yes, you are Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> and so we have wind chill. So we would get school canceled, not because of snow, because it was negative 40 degrees wind chill. You cannot go outside. Your nose hairs would freeze. So it's uh-uh. a different kind of cold where Noah would get like blizzards. And like our other coworker, Caleb, who's from Minnesota, he would get dumps of like snow coming. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So very different weather. So is that where they say like the Windy City, Chicago? Is Absolutely. that wind? Because it's that... There, I'll have to send you some pictures. When it is winter there, the wind is so crazy that lake parts of, and you'll see it in Michigan too, Lake Michigan will, like the waves will come up the lighthouse and they'll freeze that way. They'll literally freeze. So like frozen. It's like frozen. (laughs) And you want to think it's beautiful until you're like, I can't feel my absolute anything. Anything. I would not do well with that. I don't think you would. I wouldn't because I would also just, eat a lot of food to stay warm. I mean, I really would. I would be eating culture. Yes. Like my, I remember being in England in the middle of winter and, um, it was so cold because it was just when it's not even cold, like snow, but it's Mm. cold. And they handed me a cup of tea. And when I drank it, I felt the hot liquid go down my body. And I realized that's why the British drink tea. It keeps them warm. Right. And I had no grid for that. I had no concept for that. There's this entire culture think it's pronounced, I'm so, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. Heige. It's H-Y-G-G-E. Honestly, you'd love it. And it's this Norwegian thing, but a lot of people from the Midwest culture take it. And it's this lifestyle you have during the winter. So it's, um, I have the fire and a big wool pair of socks that I wear. And we stay at the dinner table after dinner and we just sit there with our full bellies and we lean back and we have a cup of tea and dessert. Like it's an entire lifestyle, yes. high-key, relaxed culture because really, I mean, Minnesota specifically in other areas like that, I mean, you don't, the sun doesn't come up. That's why winter depression is a huge wow. thing there. Yeah. So that's really, I was talking to my host, Ashley, who was at the last church I was at. Hi, Ashley, if you're listening, but she said that they, um, there's a lot of winter, a lot of depression and alcoholism is actually really rampant in that area. And I said, did you ever get a sun lamp? Cause I have, my sister deals with uh, seasonal depression. She'll tell you this. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling her secrets, but my mom bought her a sun lamp. And so she can sit there and Ashley was like, no, I haven't thought of that, but I wonder we should go to the market and just market it to those people. (laughs) I just got one again too, but I'm like, it was a salt lamp, sun lamp, salt lamp. I don't know if they're the same things. I think they're a little different, but I think one has more of like a purifying and then the other gives you your vitamin D or whatever. You're right. Right. I don't think the Himalayan salt lamp isn't, it's not new agey and negative. I mean, I could be wrong. You guys can write in. But as far as I know, it actually is really good for the air. Exactly. And I always think things get distorted, but God made it. Like God right. made the lamp. He made the salt. Calm down. Yep. You know. It's supposed to be the same effect you get after you go to the ocean. <gasps> the same salt. So there's ions that Okay, I would love that. I know. So like 
you know, I was learning in different different places, but they were talking about, you know, if you have anxiety, get your feet, bare feet on the grass and the ions in the, how God made it, the ions in the grass will balance what's happening in your body. It's the same thing for the ocean, which I'm like, that's why everyone in San Diego is happy. Also because San Diego, (laughs) but you know what I mean? You are getting this, the feel of the ocean, the salt is balancing what's going on in your body. And I'm like, I love that. I I learned that grounding, I think is what it's called, the technical term. And Benny Johnson always taught us about that. And I didn't get it. And then I started just kind of believing her. And I would come home from these international trips and I was out of my mind, tired, probably dehydrated, just out. And the first thing I would do is take my shoes off and go walk in the the ground with Mm -hmm. the kids. And I was tired and, you know, jet lagged and all that, but something about walking barefoot. And it's the first thing I do when I get home often is I'll go outside. Isn't that wild? And something I just kind of on this subject too, I just learned is what's really good is to, especially during winter seasons is get your body out in front if to wake up. So we, for me, I love pitch black. I mean, I'm pitch Uh black sleeping, Uh but to wake up during your body, there is things, um, completely forgetting the name of it now, but in the sunrise teaches your body. That's how God made it to wake up. But then I think Rebecca Lyons also talks about this too. And then also the sunset, it gives, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. It is melatonin to keep you asleep. Yes. Mm, The blue light it gives, I think, or maybe it's opposite, but I'm like, thank you. Melatonin at night. I know Mm -hmm. that because that's what I give myself sometimes. Me too. But it is that, um, you know, they even have those, uh, there are, I think alarm clocks that, that wake it. you up with it. Do yes. you have that? Yeah. No. Oh. I stopped using it. <laughs> I stopped using the sunlight one, but I, I use it because I wake up to the sound of birds and I'm like, you know you what? You do? I need to wake what up What are you, happier. Cinderella? That's Absolutely. <laughs> do not call me Joelle ever again. I mean like literal birds or an arm, alarm I clock? I wish. Um, alarm clock of like, but it's not oh. like, you, sometimes you wake up to birds and you're like, you know me, I yes. love animals. I'm like, where's the gun? I'll shut <laughs> yes. down. Like the Be crazy quiet. cockatoo. 100%. But this is like the, it's like a quiet and it wakes you up. And I'm like, I'd rather listen to birds than, yes, than an alarm. Than an alarm. My husband is notorious for setting the alarm mm-hmm. and he's like the most responsible person in the world. So me even saying this is not a dig, but he likes to hit the snooze a couple times, yep. but I'm a morning person. So if the alarm goes off, I'm awake. And so I always ask him, like, what time am I getting up tomorrow? Because he has this really like deep core as a one on the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to get up and read my Bible and I'm going to start my morning off. Right. And then I'm the one at 530, like getting up, starting the coffee. And, you know, he'll jump up and do what he's got to do. But it is not. I always am like, oh, I can't think of it. And now after 15 years of marriage, I stopped fighting it because I realized it was something in him that needed the alarm to be set for him to feel like he was trying. He was trying. (laughs) Oh, maybe we need a whole separate podcast on things to just allow your husband to do. Algorithm. It's not the algorithm. There's like a, I know the word's going to come to me in a little bit about the rising of the sun, but yes. I know we have to go to that. You know, (laughs) but talk to me about your last trips because you, I mean, there was a time and we can talk about this too, but you were kind of quiet on your socials. Things were down for the past year but now you're going back on trips again. So I want to hear about those. I know people have been watching it on your home with Havila Instagram and your regular one, but tell me about those. Okay. Well, I have been a little quiet and I don't think it was as um, like intentional as I thought. I think we went through a really intense year last year yeah. and specifically those of us that are online, you know, like 
we are just, we have to put ourselves out there and you're putting yourself out there, whether it's what you believe or not. And it was a very volatile, like if I don't think everybody had that experience, but as communicators, I just got to sit with a bunch of communicators a couple of weeks ago and everybody was saying that. And there was some that brave to say something and got right. killed saying it. And others, um, that, lost a lot of people saying yeah. certain things and others that were dead silent that I was like, Oh, I'm sad that you're silent when you're, you're communicating about a lot of other things. But I think it was one of those unknown charted territories. And so I, um, I really tried to show up authentically last year. Um, and then I felt that I, I felt like I couldn't win, which sounds so dramatic, but I did feel a little like, I'm not sure how to win. So I just posted when it felt right. Mm-hmm. And I was being true to that. And I feel having been out in the world, which we can talk about the different trips I've been on, but being out in the world a little bit more, I just am, have a little bit more hope than I think I didn't have when I was isolated at home. Of course, I have my own personal hope of like, Havla is going to be okay. Ben and Havla are going to be okay. Havla and her five men are going to be fine. Even Havla and Truth the Table are going to be fine, but how is the world? And sometimes the big C, big church can get me, I can start feeling kind of like I'm underwater and I'm not sure how to respond. And I want to help pastors. I mean, that's, that's the mandate on my life is to bridge, is to bridge, um, to be a bridge builder and to empower the influencer. And so I never want to hurt a pastor's life and livelihood by something I'm saying. So I, I, I often have a caution, but, um, I would say I was pretty much off the road last year, except for a couple incredible places. God took us James river being one of them. And then, um, we started traveling, I think around March and I've been gone quite a bit. It's been pretty interesting. Um, and I think what's been really interesting is just getting to go to unique places. Cause we went to three different, four different places, but three different States and they're all different denominations. They all have unique leaders and all of them are like winning in their own way. You know, I don't know totally. if you noticed that at all. I agree. And, and so what was that for you? Do you think it was just going back and seeing the church in person? Like, was that a necessary thing for you? Was that important to see people come up and like the hunger versus online comments? Yes. You know? Well said. And I think for us in California, which you and I go to the same church, we, we haven't been open. Like, I think it's hard to explain to people that have had an opening and they've been attending church and navigating it. For those of us that have had no church mm. for, I mean, almost a year, but just no ability to go to church in our environment, it, it we were, it was dead silent except for being online or maybe like the, the new televangelists on socials, but that was kind of it. And then, um, you know, we even started church, but even church right now for us, again, this is just for us. Um, it's reserved seating. It's, you got to wear a wristband to know that you got approved to sit, go in the building. And, you know, because we're a global movement, we've had to really adhere to specific, um, things that help our community feel safe with us. And so that's been really unique. So for me personally, if I think if my church was open, I might've not had that experience, but because I was in California and we were on lockdown and it was so, uh, volatile, it was just unique. So I, the first time I went, I was like that mom who wasn't sure how her kid was going to be. I get that. I get that. So, you know, I kind of geared myself up for if they're in tears Okay, get ready. If they're angry, get ready. If they are excited, get ready, but don't assume you know what it's going to be like. Right. And so I walked into the first church and it was a women's meeting in Texas. 
And they were with me. I felt initially, I think the church, and I could say this for all the places that I've been recently, there is a, a tenderness, but also kind of a observing part of life because mm-hmm. everyone's been observing. They've been online. Right. They've been doing socials. They've been watching church on, online as well. There's a bit of them where they want to interact, but they're not quite sure how to. I don't know if you'd feel that way. I, I agree. And I think also, I mean, when you have a screen in front of you for the last year, all you can do is observe, you know, like the most interaction you can do is on a keyboard. So did you kind of feel that a bit too? Like almost, I don't know the the right language, maybe like a shell shock of yeah. like, I'm in person. Texas is different too. So you went to Texas and it's wide open. I mean, you started with a bang, honestly. Yes. And Missouri too. Missouri was very open when you went. What was what was the feel of it? What was God doing? What did you was there a theme in the all the churches you went to? Or what did you feel like you needed to speak on? It's a great question. I I was thinking about this yesterday as I was on a walk around the like the lake in Wisconsin and I was thinking about the last six weeks of being on the road and I would say there's kind of this corporate thing that God's doing, and then there's the individual messaging as well. So I think the church definitely, each church has their own personality. Mm-hmm. You know, we always say you're going into their culture. So I don't go as a, as a missionary to another country and go, well, why don't you have your toilets like this? And why don't you care about this? And why isn't this important to you? I'm going in there to serve. So it's a mission field for me. I'm right. not there to to change anything. I'm there to love, serve, and honor and build that community in the name of Jesus. So that's where my message is. But I would say some of the places I thought would be kind of dark and gloomy and overwhelmed were actually vibrant and alive. Yeah. And some of the places I thought would be uh, free, like a Texas, were very closed off and very uh, cautious. Wow. So it's interesting how you would kind of think that. And I said on online, again, it's hard to really know. I would say corporately, Joelle, that it's very interesting what God is doing. I think that the church, the American church, is starting to be persecuted for their faith. And we're seeing this unique thing happen where people are beginning to own their faith in a way that they've never owned it. I, I did feel like everywhere I went, I led an altar call because I felt like there's people in the room that either have never fully gone public with their faith and now it's costing them. Wow. Or they need to re-sign up and recommit and re- revive their faith life. I agree. I feel that. Do you sense that too? Well, and just hearing from you, hearing you telling me that, I'm like, that makes sense because faith changed last year. I mean, for for good or for bad, I think corporately, yes, but individually, I agree too that we all had to, I don't know, I just feel like we were at a crossroads and it was that redecision that you're talking about. And I love that you did the altar calls. Yeah, and I think that reviving, like, I think even leaders I was talking to, they said we were so busy in damage control, we couldn't even think about intimacy with Christ. It wasn't like where we were. We were thinking about how do we get to people in need? How do we help people? Mm. You know, how do we, do we open? Do we not open? Do we do a false open? And then we have to close again. These these were tremendously difficult decisions for leaders. Right. And, you know, I my big, my big position in Truth to Table is... Truth Academy, which is our membership. And I love it. So I'm Truth Academy focused when I'm here. So that's my mindset. And I'm just thinking about, you know, it's kind of a reset, but what we do in Truth Academy is we have 12 months of a study and 
of 12 different studies each month. And you have it in such a way that is like almost like a discipleship, whether you're a new beginner or not. And it kind of feels like that. Like, so for instance, we start with radical growth and then we go into this and it just kind of feels like the world is needing that. And we were talking about that identity piece again. And what does that look like? Do you, do you feel that, that identity piece? I do. And I think it's, it's like, um, whatever dependency we had on a corporate identity is being challenged. I no Mm. longer can say I'm part of the popular group. I'm part of the good people group. I think that we're being challenged. And so people are having to own their faith. I also think people had crisis of life last year, marriages, kids. I mean, I think they were faced with people that they were living with. Like I saw a lot of divorces and I think there was this reality of, I've been faking this for a while and now I I need to either get out or, or figure it out. I just saw people really reach the end of their ability to fake it. You can't fake it when you're locked at home and you can't yeah. go socialize and do events and keep a busy life. It's tough. It's and tough. yeah, it's tough. And I think in our faith walk, you know, I, first of all, and if you're with me and Joel knows this, I always like to extend grace to people. Like I think we're pretty hard on ourselves, especially if you're listening to a podcast like this and you're part of our truth table, a community, you know, like you're probably a, as a person who's pretty serious about your faith, or at least want to be, know you want to be. And so I always say, you know, you probably lean towards not being gracious with yourself, but I want you to be gracious. But I also believe it's time to revive our faith. Yes. And I think the church has to revive their faith, not in a corporate identity, but in a personal identity. So when we gather together, we both are carrying our own cross. Yeah. And I just, I, I think that's really important. Yeah. And I think too, something we've talked about multiple times is this idea of wholeness. And I feel like the church is, you know, I was talking with somebody yesterday. She goes, my dad's old school. He doesn't believe in mental health. You know, he doesn't <laughs> believe in this thing. And I was like, well, you're going to find out that he needs to, you know, and, and that's something I'm passionate about. Not everyone is, but I think because COVID, you know, hit my, my marriage, my family, my personal life. So harshly that I was forced, like you said, I was forced to kind of deal with things. We're not saving face anymore because we're not going to church, right? Yeah. So it's like, oh, I'm actually faced against the things that I've been pushing away. And that drove me to, okay, I can continue to live this way, but now it's so unbelievably uncomfortable because it's right in my face. Or I can choose wholeness and I can choose what does that really mean to live whole with the Lord, you know, with getting things figured out. And I think we're, I think I could see people doing it. I mean, I'm seeing like mental health therapists, licensed therapists all on Instagram. Like they're kind of taking over and people are like, Hey, I need this. Or, Hey, I didn't know that was anxiety. Or I thought I just lived with this. I don't have to. And I think we're kind of coming out of that. Do you feel that? Yeah. I think you and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think God is raising up an army of counselors. I, I have seen multiple friends of mine that are getting into the mental health wellness, uh, areas. And I think that God is enabling us to be where the people are. And, and so, you know, for me, I can't, I could never put an amount of money where, where counseling has changed my life. Mm -hmm. And I love God, believe God. I'm an ordained minister. I've, I've nothing to be ashamed of with that. Um, and, and I know Joel, it's been the same with you. It saved our marriage. I know that in your marriage has been strategic. So again, I think it's that balance, but I agree it's, it's for wholeness sake. It's not for, I want to hear myself talk about myself one more time. No, it's the sake is okay, God, I want to put the word of God live and active Mm -hmm actively in my life. 
And I can't do that if I'm busy believing a lie. I can't do that if I'm busy giving my power away. So if I can get those things kind of dealt with, then when you tell me something or I hear something, I can activate it because I don't have those hindrances anymore. Mm -hmm. And those hindrances come from childhood or they come from the way we've seen ourselves or whatever it is. And so I agree with you. It's a pursuit to wholeness. I agree. And like, there is more. There is more. There is more. Yep. And sometimes I'm like, I don't think uh, some women of faith I'm around, they keep acting like there's more, like God wants to say something and there's more and there's going to be something, something's coming. Mm. And I remember being in a church when I was a young believer and my pastor was like, we need to pray for God to come. We're going to gather for a week. We're going to call it seek week and we're going to pray. And so I remember getting in there and we would pray every day. We'd fast all week. We'd all gather every night and pray. And you know what we saw? I saw nothing. It was almost like we were just pleading for God to come, plead that you would see us plead. Yeah. And it felt like we were not going to see the supernatural. It was just Mm going to be like, we're going to pray, pray, pray. We don't know what we're looking for. And I just want to say to you, if you're listening right now, you, we are not waiting as if we're not sure if he's going to come. He has come. The spirit of God is live and active on the world in the world. And the Holy spirit is live and active in you. And so you don't have to wait for the coming of Christ. Christ has come. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So you get to now, instead of, yes, we have an anticipation for the second coming of Christ, but I'm talking about this part of us that feels tortured, like God's supposed to come do something. And I'm like, maybe you need counseling. Maybe you need to walk through some of these areas that you think a spiritual experience will wipe away everyday living in a healthy way. And so go back and begin to revisit the parts of the hindrance, right? Right. Like you don't have to live this. You don't have to work this hard. Exactly. And, and I think a big thing for us at truth to table is what we say is we're partnering with what God's already said. Right. So that is what, what we talk about when we're saying wholeness and mental health and going to therapy, potentially if that's for you and going to a reputable licensed therapist also, who's a Christian is very helpful. It doesn't have to be a Christian organization always to find a Christian therapist, But I think a big thing that really got both of us out of a hole last year was this idea of a compelling future. And you can't have a compelling future, right? If you are stuck in the anxiety of your present, you could, why? I get, there's grace for that. Why? Because you can't see past your own nose right now. You're so riddled with anxiety or fear or anger or fill in the blank. We all have it. So what do you feel about that? The compelling future line? Oh my gosh, you said it so well. I said it a different way. And then I think I'm going to steal the Joel, the Joel line, because I said, unless you have a compelling future, you won't live a purposeful present. Mm. So that's kind of the phrase I've been thinking a lot about, right? Unless you have a compelling future, you will not live a purposeful present. But you said, if you don't have a compelling future, you will live in an anxious present. Mm. And I agree with that. I think that's the, the part of our story. And I, I just want to be like, fully honest. Cause Joel and I, like, that's one thing we have never been accused of is being dishonest or not totally honest about how we feel about things. But I think there's this part of our life where we didn't have a compelling future last year and we didn't know. I mean, we didn't know what our political climate would be. We didn't know about racial reconciliation and how that would go forward. We we didn't know um, about the writing, um, what what that would look like and continue to do and and really what kind of change that would bring and we hope to bring. Uh, We didn't know if the world would open up. We didn't know if the vaccine is the right thing. We did. I mean, there's so much and we're still navigating that. But I, I really sense, I really sense this in my spirit and I'm talking to me and I hope that it speaks to you. 
But if I don't get my eyes on my compelling future, I cannot be present to my purpose right now because there's too much at stake. Stay tuned for part two next week, where you'll hear Joelle and Havila chat even more in depth. Also, don't forget to subscribe and review this podcast. It means so much to us. And yes, we read every single one. Don't forget, we've created a special code for you to save 15% on everything in our store. So just put in summer15 at checkout at truthtotable.com. This podcast is designed to set the table with truth to feed your spirit throughout the summer. Until next week, join in the conversations happening on socials where we are serving up uncomplicated biblical truth and activating you to be a spirit-led woman. Have a great week. Bye.